0: are listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. We're also looking forward to getting our um, school, uh, college uh, class, kind of back here in this next week or so as they transition. Uh, it'll be good because we just feel like it's an incredible um, blessing that our church has to be a local church with a campus vision. There's so many students that come to come to this city that know no one. They show up. They don't have holidays. They don't know anybody. And uh, I, I, I find it an incredible privilege as a church that we get to be a landing place. The scripture calls places cities of refuge. And in the, in the Old Testament, cities of refuge were places that uh, people that were foreigners or literally escaped convicts that were running for their life could find a city of refuge and be safe there. And uh, I just really feel like our church is called to be a city of refuge. That's part of our identity, that when people are out of town or out of the country or wherever, that they're coming here, we want to be a family to them. So open your Bibles with me to Second Timothy chapter 4. Um, I've got my, my clicker here. Uh, We're going to work through a text here this morning. We've been talking about what it is to live a spirit-filled life or a spirit-led life. I want to change up the pace a little bit this morning. Uh, This is just something through prayer during the week that I felt like um, God was just kind of leading us toward. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, and we're just going to work through this kind of briefly. That's what I say, and I'm going to try to time myself to make sure this doesn't go too crazy. Um, Not that it's all about that, but... The mind can only handle what the seat can endure. So. Alright. right. Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul the Apostle writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endorse sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, listen to me. Paul the Apostle, in the middle of his letter, because remember, Paul's writing in the middle of the letter here. We're in chapter 4. So he's already kind of broken down a bunch of what he's saying to his son in the faith, Timothy. Timothy, the context of this, is a local church pastor. It's funny that you kind of run into Christians, especially in our culture, um, that are like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so like, are you connected to a church anywhere? Well, not really, not really it's just Jesus and me. And I was like, okay, great, Like, uh, let's chat though for a second. So what, what part of the Bible do you read? Um, well, I read the Gospels. Okay, so you read apostles who wrote to the church. So, uh, well, what do you read? I I read Paul's letters. So you read pastoral epistles to churches. Well, I don't read the epistles. I read letters of John, which were written to churches. Well, I write, see, the the entire New Testament. I, I just read the book of Revelation. It was written to seven churches. See, you can't escape, you can't escape the local church as a Christian. Now, I know that you're, oh my, oh my Lord, I don't want to be locked in here forever. Listen, I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that our faith is not something that we want to divorce from Jesus and me in a closet. Personally, that scares me. It's not about just me doing my personal daily bread devotional in the closet. Every once in a while I go, okay, great. And I shut that and I come out now I'm a Christian. No, the scripture is constantly writing to New Testament communities... People that are linked together in faith, on a mission to advance God's kingdom in their local context and culture. So Paul's writing these letters, and it's interestingly enough that letters at this time in the New Testament... Paul takes a medium of a letter that at that time would have been maybe a chapter, possibly two chapters in what he's doing... ...and extends these things out dramatically. He takes a letter, and in the middle of this thing, I want you to see almost how abrupt this is. In the middle of his conversation, he goes... Timothy, I charge you by the presence of God, by the the God who's going to judge the living and the dead. Uh, I I don't think we recognize how abrupt that is, that in the middle of conversation, because he's having a conversation through the scripture, he just comes out and he goes, I charge you. Have you ever been in an awkward conversation that somebody just comes out in the middle of something, and it doesn't really fit there? Paul, out of nowhere, just jumps out and goes, I charge you in the presence of the God who will judge the living and the dead. It's kind of like, uh, okay, he's getting serious on here. And What does he say to us? He says, I charge you to be ready in and out of season to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll accumulate for themselves Teachers who, this is kind of a strange phrase, who will basically, there's an itching of the ear, something that you want to hear, will accumulate for themselves. People that will tell them exactly what they want to hear, and then eventually they'll wander off into myths. It's amazing, uh, today there's an organization called the Flat Earth Society. Has anyone ever heard of them? It's really interesting. The Flat Earth Society, to this day, believes that the earth is flat, to them, they are like staunch that the Earth is flat. They've, they've, you know, they've got their breakdown and their scientists that it's into a disc. Now, listen, if you believe in the flat Earth theory, all right, that's that's one thing. I'm not sure how you handle space travel unless it's all a conspiracy theory. All I'm simply saying is that there are people today that still believe the Earth is flat. Now, you'll remember. Hundreds of years ago, the flat earth theory, everyone believed that. And in fact, it was really hard to encourage people to get on a boat and sail into foreign lands because why they thought they were going to tip off the end of the world. That would have been quite the waterfall, I'm just saying. The flat earth society, though, to this day says the earth is flat. I'm not here to argue that the earth is flat. I'm just simply going to say, I'm not sure how you can handle flying around in a circle over from cross country. I don't know. If you figure that one out then you're too deep for us and you should open a church across the street, all right? The Flat Earth Society still believes the earth is flat even though they can see clearly that the earth is round. I don't understand that, but simply this. Something that was once a myth over time, listen to this, something that's a myth plus time. Myth plus timed equals assumed truth. Myth plus time equals assumed truth. Paul the Apostle challenges us with the scripture and says preach the word of god in truth to rebuke in other words that there's some people that are absolutely wacko absolutely wacko and as a christian we need to be able to know the truth to be able to rebuke them now yesterday at our outreach um we were setting up our flyer which is pretty cool you know our little banner just letting the community know Two people that I won't mention, we don't, no one knows them here. They cut out to go on to tell me that instantly. I mean, we're there in like two minutes. We haven't even like set spikes in the ground. And they're like, we just want to let you know you are going to hell. And I was like, ah, that's wonderful to hear, I guess. Uh, why is that? Well, we want to let you know you're, you're going to hell because you don't attend this type of church and, uh, and you don't do this, this, and this. And I was like, I really appreciate your time, and then they got really defensive and really aggressive and started going crazy, and I was like, I really appreciate your time. Don't judge me. I'm like, I said, I really appreciate your time. I'm not really quite sure how you heard judging. I mean, I think they kind of had a kind of like pretty, you know, calculated response before we got to talk, so we thankfully ushered them on, and they just said, we just don't want you to go to hell, and I said, I really appreciate your heart towards me, and I said, "Um, I'll take my chances, all right? No, I'm kidding. Simply this, though. Now, there's ways to rebuke, there's ways to reprove, and there's ways to exhort because, frankly, the challenge that Christians have today, the challenge that we have today is taking something like this, that Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who judges the living and the dead. We have the challenge of taking something that's so intense and we tend to do one of two things. We either dumb it down and suppress it because we don't want to look like the guys that have the flyers and the banners. We don't want to be those people. So what we do is we try to pull it back in so that we begin to Haze and soften the edges of Christianity to the point where it loses its power. It loses its power because simply now Christianity is nothing but Jesus is good for you but maybe not for them and I, 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 I want to challenge us by saying this in a post modern culture where everything 's just blah and blur. the scripture still calls to us this same response in a culture that 's absolutely obstinate against this now. The way that we go about this, how do I take the word rebuke and exhort, how do I take that truth and then bring culture here and somehow bring it over here without squashing culture? And how do I take the truth here and not bring culture to the point where I squash truth? This is the struggle that all of us live in everywhere we go, in our workplaces, with our families, with our friends. How do we assimilate the truth of God's word, which has not changed, and make that real without being offensive and or aggressive? Anybody? Not so much. All right. Well, I'm just going to preach myself, and I should just get a mirror here. i am be like, man, you're great today. Everyone's like, oh, man, yikes. <laughs> it would have been bad if you all would have got up and walked out. All right. How do we take the truth of God's word though, something that's so direct, so bold. Paul's saying, Timothy, I charge you to do this. It wasn't like a command and like an option. Like, hey, you want to go to the store with me? I love my wife for multiple reasons. One of the things I love about her, and this isn't why I love her. This is one of the things I love about her. She gives me the option of, do I need to go to the grocery store with her? I love that. I am a terrible shopper. And Aaron now gives me the option, Jared, do you want to go shopping with me? And that used to be the option. Now it's like, hey, Jared, I know you're not going to go shopping, so you can do this. I love that. One day, I was on the way over to Jesse said, Jared, I'm, i got to go shopping or do something. And you can either come with me or go over Jesse's. I looked at her and said, is this a trick? I said, are you, Are you? what are you What are you doing to me? Like, Is this one of those things? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. This is like a setup. Are you going to say you can do it and then I come home? And it's like, how could you choose that? So I'm, I'm testing the waters. I'm like, Are you sure you mean I, 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 this is a real option. This isn't like option A is better than option B. This isn't like, you know, I I can really do this. She said, yeah, go ahead. So I went over to Jesse's. I said, he said, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. Aaron had to do something. She said, I had the option of either cleaning or cooking or something. I don't recall what it was. Or I can come over and watch. And I said, I asked her like four times. I'm checking out, are you sure that this is it? She said, absolutely. So I came home. Everything was, that was great. I was like, she didn't come back. Like, you didn't do it? No, she, was, she kept her word. It was great. There wasn't an option, though. It's not one of these things where Paul looks at Timothy and goes, hey, I'm giving you an option. Here's an option. If you, if you want to preach, if you want to exhort, if you want to rebuke, if you want to reprove, if you want to do that, then go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm cool. If you don't, then don't worry about it. I mean, this is just kind of like, you know, we're just defending the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're just being persecuted for our faith. See, We have a tendency, because of culture, we can so far remove ourselves from what God does. And it's this incredibly hard tension that we live in. And how do we take a book that's 2,000 years old and let it speak to us culturally? It's called contextualization. See, everybody does it however, whenever. And maybe, see, most of the things that I'll, I'll, I'll just challenge you on this, that maybe you look at the worship music and you think it's a little too loud or whatever. I'm not quite sure. Maybe you don't like guitars or something like that. Or people whatever, raising hands, or dancing, or jumping, or whatever, however, whatever your your thing is. Interestingly enough, if you would go back 50 years, especially in this building, um, we've got a great thing called an organ here. Now, there's some guys that can play an organ, the B3, that know how to tear it up. Most of us sound horrendous, and most women in church that play organ also sound horrendous. All right, I said it for you. See, there's some people that can really make that thing sing. 50 years ago, that was cutting edge. You came in, so, man, did you hear that organ today? Dang. They hit that C sharp minor. I got chills running down my spine. I don't know. When they play the minor chords, whew, whew, I don't know what it's about. Do you know people fought over having instruments in church? Organs. Organs. See, there's a constant battle of taking the truth of God's scripture... In contextualizing that today so that we don't weaken one, we need to be able to reach culture, we need to be able to engage culture. I'm not just talking about a church service, I'm talking about in our lives, and at the same time, we can't take the truth of God and dumb it down to the point where it's here, you know, like eh, if you want to go, you can go, if you don't want to go, you don't have to. You sure? No, the scripture charges us, it commands us, and it says this because this is amazing. It says that people, as time progresses, will begin to take Teachers around themselves, they'll accumulate, which is kind of a funny word there. Teachers that will scratch the itch in their ear, what they want to hear, and it will lead to myths. An assumed truth or a partial truth over time is a myth. A myth over time is an assumed truth. It's a, it becomes truth to culture. In our culture, there's so many assumed myths about God. It's unbelievable. I honestly feel that as our call as Christians, every person I engage, it's constantly not trying to convince them or argue with them, but simply show to them who Jesus Christ really is. Not on the basis of my opinion, which we all have opinion. We're all biased. Even my bias is biased. We're all. We all have that. But simply. Our job is to just say, this is who Jesus is. This is who you've been worshiping. This is what you put your faith in. This is who Jesus is, the God of the scripture. Taking something that's 2,000-year-old truth and contextualizing that today. We have people pendulum, though, all the time. It's one or the other. It's either we just want to be the, the Christian that gets along with everybody, that everyone says, oh, you're just such a great Christian, you just embrace everything and just... Wow, you're like you're the great Christian, but the truth is our life has no impact because we share no truth. We share no truth. So we pendulum from that, or do you pendulum to the other side, which you already know? The aggressive, assertive, or aggressive, overbearing approach of this is who God is, repent and be changed. Now I want to suggest to you something that Paul that Paul calls us to is that the way that we combat this isn't by rebuking one or the other extremes, but by simply offering the truth, showing who Jesus is. When I was in Africa a few years back, we're driving on the road, and we're just, we're, well, I mean, we're flying, and uh, there's no fences, and there's, like, cattle. That's concerning to me, because we're not doing, like, you know, we're not doing 10 miles an hour in a go-kart, all right? We're, we're, we're getting it on this road, and there's no fences, I'm not really quite sure how that works. So as we're driving, and I know his cattle's coming close to the road, and we're on a BMW, like flying on this dirt road. And I'm like, this isn't going to work good. Like you, you don't have a fence. Like, they're like, oh no, it's all right. They're, they're, they're not going to cross. I'm like, okay, I'm glad you're confident in this. And I begin to ask them, what's what's the reasoning behind the fact that you, you don't have fences here? I mean, how would you like that if you're just like driving down the road and just a cow works just way across the road? Hey, I mean, seriously. And they said this, there's a total difference in Africa to, to the states here or foreign countries as well. See, cattle won't leave the well. They'll never travel beyond the distance of being able to get back to the well. In the States, we have all of these perfect boundaries that are knit and perfect, and we're constantly trying to figure out if someone's in the box or out of the box, and if we can keep the box nice and pretty and neat, but simply, they said, listen, if we have the well, and if the well is healthy, then the animals will never travel too far away. See, I have a feeling that what Paul says contextually to us through this is that when we preach the word It's not so us to come up with signs that say change, change, repent, repent. No, it's simply saying this. We come and we preach the well of living water. We preach the living water. We don't have to figure out what box they're in or outside of because simply we're not just trying to get them inside of a doctrinal code. We're trying to get them to Jesus, to the well. If we can preach the well, then they'll be in the box. If we preach a box, there's nothing appealing about it. My concern is the enemy to this when we hear things about rebuke, re- reprove, exhort. When we hear this command, how do, we, how do we preach? The gospel. How do we really share this? I was reading a book um, by an author. His name's N.T. Wright, and it's, I wouldn't really recommend the book, actually. I think it might cause more chaos than help, but he's still a really intriguing author. One of the things that he says in it is that the word gospel is the word declaration declaration of victory and when we preach the gospel we've created this system very much so like medicine that you know you need to take but you don't want to take but you know it's good and if you take it then it's going to be better for you and if you don't take it then you know you should have taken it but nt Wright, in his book he says this that when we preach the gospel it's the declaration of a victory that's already been won the gospel's not asking people for their response. The gospel is the declaration that Christ has risen and conquered death. He's risen and conquered death, and we simply preach and proclaim the fact that He's conquered death, hell, and the grave through His perfection in His life. Because he was fully God and fully man. All we do is preach the gospel. That's it. And God renders the response of people's hearts. See, but unfortunately we flip these two things around. And we say that if we can condition people's hearts to respond. If I can get somebody to respond. So we simply begin to create formulas. And maybe you've seen this. And I'm not fully against it. I'm 99.9% against it. I'm kidding. No. I'm not fully against this, but simply this. We begin to reason with people that you're a bad person and... You need a savior and you need a good God. And it's not that that's bad. The law does show us that we need a God. But at the end of the day, the law can only show us that we need something other than ourselves. See, we all know we're broken. We all know we need something. And people around us all understand that. But if we're not careful, we'll take a command like this which tells us to preach the word. And rather than preaching the finished work of Christ, we'll begin to preach just another gospel of moralism, a gospel of try harder, a gospel of give more, work harder, pray more, do whatever. And we begin to exchange the victory of Christ's perfect obedience for your strict human obedience. See, the truth and the beauty of the gospel, the declaration of this is that Christ has redeemed us in spite of us. He has forgiven you in spite of you. He has released us, not because of our good works, but the scripture says, by grace alone. By grace alone. We take a word that says, preach the word, be ready in season. We preach the well. We preach the well, we preach who Christ is. I'm concerned so deeply the more that I sit with people, even in this church, the more that I sit with people that we assume that we understand what the word gospel means. We assume it because we grow up in around church where we see it and simply, yeah, yeah, you can recite Jesus died for your sins or whatever. And I, you, you can give me the felt board storyboard. Don't you wish we had one of those? Not so much. Everyone to leave. All right. You, you, you can break down the felt board for me. You can give me the Old Testament stories. You can give me the New Testament stories. You can tell me Judas betrayed, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then died on a cross and he turned to one thief and said, you know, in paradise you'll be with me today. And the other thief rejected him. And then you, you can break down all those things. But my concern is this, that if we don't understand, if we don't hold Christ in his preeminence, then what we begin to do is actually just preach a code of behavioral management. We preach a code of, now you're a Christian, this is how you're supposed to live. You want to be a Christian, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. You're a Christian. These are the commands. When we flip these two, I'm telling you, Christianity is no longer appealing. There's nothing appealing about if you do this you'll be righteous. That's just like every other religion. There's no good news in it. It makes you your own savior. It makes you the person that redeems yourself. If I can do this, I'm saved. And see, when we begin to preach grace like this, when we begin to preach the victory of Christ, our instant response is, are you saying that we can go do whatever we want? Listen, if if you don't ask that question in your mind, you haven't heard the gospel. If, If you don't ask the question... I'm so free that I can do whatever I want. If you can't ask that question that goes, this is so good to be true. If you don't have to look at the scripture and look at qualifying statements, and you might go, well, what do you mean by that? Paul the Apostle, the same writer that tells Timothy preached the word in Romans, was accused of saying, you're preaching lawlessness. You preach that you can go do whatever you want. I'm afraid that we preach grace with far too much strings We preach grace that says, you get grace if you do this, 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 and this. Listen, I'm telling you this this morning. Whether you like it or not, Jesus died. The historical person of Jesus Christ died and it was in your place. And the scripture says that he's reconciled you to God. And all he's waiting for is you to turn and say, I will no longer trust in my own self. That's it. Whether you like that or not, historically that happened. It happened. It happened. You can, uh, you can read secular historians that won't debate that Jesus died. Now, they'll debate his resurrection until they're blue in the face. But you cannot debate the fact that he was a living person that died. You can't find, even, it's amazing because even the new atheists are starting to try to figure out, okay, what do we do with this incredible evidence that there was a literal physical human being called Jesus Christ? And he did a bunch of miracles. We need to explain that. W- well, he was a, Whatever. You can tackle that on your own day. And if you need resources, I'd love to point you in some good directions. Christian and secular resources are both available. But if we don't take the gospel, that God has reconciled you apart from yourself, if we don't hear that, literally, and you think this is too good to be true, if you don't take qualifying statements and put those on as your seatbelts, then you haven't heard the gospel. And I know that sounds offensive to say that. Well, what do you mean I haven't heard the gospel? The gospel is I show up at church each week, I put in my offering, I praise the Lord, I repent of my sins every day. No, you've heard the gospel of church. The gospel is that Christ has redeemed you. He's let us free. He's forgiven us. Regardless of what we've done, what we do or don't do. When you you start to to let that soak over your mind, you begin to ask yourself, well, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm free. I don't have to work for this approval. When I was at college in South Carolina, it was really interesting. I went to a Bible college, and uh, we started, started teaching on the gospel. It was really interesting because you saw two types of response to this message. You saw some people that understand that they're redeemed by grace apart from who they are and instantly go off the deep end. I mean, we were getting, I'm serious. I mean, you're going to ask a Bible school, it happens in all types of Bible schools. So it's not just mine, don't worry. Most Bible schools just know how to suppress it by behavioral management so you sneak around it, right? Come on. Bible schools, you can't watch a rated R movie. All right, so next thing you know, you're like sneaking off campus and you're like, we watched a rated R movie, oh my Lord. All right, Seriously? Bible schools are like you can't have a guy in the girls' room. Okay, that's good. Good. I mean, that's a good. That's a good boundary. Good principle. All right. Who's looking? All right. So you just try to figure out how to cheat the system, and then, or maintain your righteousness before God and people by your subjection to it. See, when you really hear the gospel and the fact that Christ has reconciled you, regardless of your works, it causes one of two responses. It either causes you to absolutely go off the deep end and go, look what I can do, I'm free. And in our school, we were having people getting pregnant. I'm just being honest with you. They were getting pregnant. They were absolutely just getting drunk. It was disgusting. And there were other people who hear the message of grace, the freedom of grace. And it doesn't cause them to go into rebellion because the truth is, what's in you is already in you. They just had permission to let it out. See, religion will suppress behaviors and contain them. But grace lets whatever's in here get out. And grace causes us either to act out of rebellion, and oh my gosh, this is crazy, I can do whatever I want, and I'm forgiven, I can do this. And the truth is, you know what? Um, First, you misunderstand grace, I'll say that. And the truth is, yeah, God would forgive you, absolutely. His grace is bigger than all of us in this room. It is. And if that offends you, I apologize. Um, Take it up with the Holy Spirit. He only said one sins only one sin is unforgivable. Only one. Every other sin is forgivable. See, the message of grace, though, it causes us to... It makes us unsettled. What do you mean? I can do whatever I want? No, see, in Paul, in this next book over, in Titus, he says this, that it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness... When I actually understand grace, it doesn't cause me to go into rebellion. It doesn't cause me to justify things. I'm under the grace of God, whatever. No, see, unless you hear a message like this, and I hope you go home and go, I hated that message today. I'm going to go read my Bible. I hope you do that. I hate that message. I'm going to go prove him wrong. And I pray that God arrests your heart by the freedom that you have in Christ. I hope you get so angry that you go home and you read the book of Romans and Galatians and you're like, I can't stand this. He said this. You open up your Bible and you go home and look. Oh no. Okay, I'm not going back to that church. He's right. You are so free. I want to let you know this morning, you are redeemed, not by your works, but by the finished work of Christ. You are reconciled, not because of your righteousness, but because of His righteousness. You are a new creation in Christ, not because you work harder, try harder, pray more, give more, dance in circles, jump around, speak in tongues, drink in applesauce, roll doing somersaults. I don't know what your, your formula is. Whatever it is, you're a new creation in Christ because of His Finished work. See, the the amazing thing, though, is that somehow we can hold these two in tension. We're like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah, Jesus, forgive me my sins. But the truth is, in our subconscious, in the heart reality, we're still our own saviors. We're still our own saviors. When things go wrong, what am I doing? When things goes right, we look back, what did I do? Man, I I really did great. I, I got the job. What did I do? I prayed X amount of hours. I did my devotion seven days in a week. I was falling asleep that last day, but I still got it in, I think, counted. And we create for ourselves an internal checklist. An internal checklist that if I can do this, then I'm in the family. And if I'm not, I'm out of the family. I've got incredible news for you. This is our motivation. This never should get old. First John says that if our hearts condemn us, there's one greater than your heart. I want to tell you this morning that you are righteous, not because that you've worked for it or earned it, but you're righteous because of the finished work of Christ. There's a law called double jeopardy, and maybe you've heard it. And I'm not talking about Alex Trebek and the Terrible Game Show. The law of double jeopardy says what? A person cannot be charged of the same crimes twice. You can't be charged for the same crime twice. If you've been brought up and you've been charged for that crime, you cannot be brought up on the same charge and judged again. It's been sealed judicially. The scripture tells us that you've been judged in the person of Jesus Christ. You cannot be judged for what Christ was judged on your behalf. So if you're feeling judgment and you're in Christ, it's coming from one of two sources. Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren, or your unredeemed mind. And the scripture calls us to be renewed. Our minds to be renewed. Myths. They sneak in just over time. I'm, uh, I was asked to pray at a funeral. I'm going to be praying at, um, I guess, a viewing tomorrow. And it's amazing at times of death or grieving where myths just kind of float above. I joked about it before, but um, I was playing basketball with somebody, and he made a shot, and they're like, thanks, Uncle Tom. And I'm like, yo, what? My uncle's here with me. I'm like, dude, if your uncle's here with us while we're playing basketball, I'm leaving. Like, I'm, I, we're playing one-on-one. You're not getting any help. No, my Uncle Tom's with me everywhere I go. Okay. A little creepy. We sold, I won't say what, but we sold a thing from the church here recently, and the whole time we... We're doing the business transaction. Um, the guy kept saying, "I'm just th- my mom's right here making it happen." I said, "Yep, That's going to be double." Then I didn't know you had two people, two incomes. Still, I thought you only had one. All right, I'm kidding. <laughs> Whole time though, and it's amazing though because myths just sneak into culture. It just sneaks in, it sneaks into Christian culture. If you turn on Christian television today, everything is about. If you buy this, you'll get the secret to success. If you buy this CD, you'll get the holy water and the green napkin that you wipe on your arm and chug the bottle of water. I can't do that. All right, I'd love a handkerchief. I'd feel awkward wearing one. Just being honest. If you if you if you buy this, if you get this, if you subscribe to my CD, if you pull on this, then you're going to finally have what you've never had. You're going to get it. You're going to have the answer. You're going to escape your humanity is what it really tells us. You're going to be able to escape this. If you just buy the CD, if you just attend this conference, if you just do this, and you know what? Let me just say this. That's something in us that's a weakness that we have to turn to Christ because when you're young, if it's just if I could get to middle school, and when you're in middle school, if I could just get into high school, if I could just then in your high school, if I could just be a senior, then when you're a senior, if I could just get to college and get a job and a car, and if I could just get a car, then if I could get a better job. If I could get a better job, I could have more money. If I get a wife, then I could have more I didn't say that, all right? If I could just have a little bit more that's just always out of my reach. If I could just have the next thing. It's just that. The amazing thing is myths slip into Christian culture to the point where you hear constantly we are bombarded by marketing messages and even Christian marketing messages that try to preach a gospel other than the finished work of Christ that says if you do this, you'll get more. And if you don't, if you don't buy this Isaiah 66 prayer book, then you're not going to be close to God. But if you give the biggest offering then right now to my ministry that's going to my needy children at my house. Sorry, you ever notice that? This is going to hungry people, including myself, all right? you got to love it. And you know the truth is, we're trying to fix a problem that Christ has already came to fix. We're trying to find satisfaction and approval and justification and righteousness and empowerment. Everything that we're seeking. Everything that we long for. The better job. The more money. The hopefully not more wives. The the wife. the, The kids. The cars. The helicopters maybe you're into. I don't know what your deal is. Whatever you're you're into, if I could just get signed by that record label, if I could just have my art displayed, if I could just do that and see, listen, those things aren't bad. They're just never going to satisfy you. They're just never going to be the thing that goes, yes, I got it. Because the excitement's great, but I got, I, got I got a great news for you in case you're ever mad. Keep this in the back of your mind. The human body can only handle one emotion for 72 hours straight before your body gives out. 72 hours. So if you're ever really mad, give it three days and never send emails. That's also bad. Okay. I'm just letting you know. I haven't done it, but just don't send emails in anger. All right. If you're that person, just stop now. It's going to get you in a lot of trouble. <laughs> right? It does. If you're fuming, mad 72 hours. See, new, human body can only get so excited about something so long. New feels good. You get your new shoes, your new, whatever. I don't care what you like. Whatever it is, something fun. It feels good. Until you drive off the lot and see that the new model came out last week. The car, I hate that. The car dealers are like, biggest sale of the summer. I feel so bad for the guy that bought the car last week. All right, no one ever thought about that? This is, the, this is the biggest event of the summer. The guy's like, dude, I bought it like two days ago. Can I get it on that? No, sorry. The biggest event was this week. Seriously? See, new is always more. I'm afraid in our culture where Christianity is and where it's going is that we'll continue this pendulum of either being overly aggressive or totally suppressing it. Something that we have to confront and we can't, we can't run away from. We have to figure out what we're doing with this thing because it's, it's before us whether we like it or not. We can't suppress this. We don't want to be aggressive with the truth. We simply want to preach that. Your job in your workplace, around your family and your friends, It's interesting that he holds both of these together, to preach and to rebuke, reprove, and exhort. People are already coming to you asking questions, and all they want to know is the truth. Something's in us seeking that. There's echoes of the gospel everywhere. They can hear it. And our job as believers is to simply be grounded in the truth of what Christ has done, and make that applicable today. Amen? All right, part two of my message now. Open your, I'm kidding. We're going to just close this morning in worship. If I could have Kenny come forward, and the, the band. It's amazing to me that there's people that can believe that the earth is still flat. And some of them have doctorates. That's scary. You can also get your doctorate online now, apparently, by just signing up for certain organizations. <laughs> I talked to a guy um, on the phone this week, just continuing some of my own education. And uh, my brother worked in a seminary office at Gordon Conwell. It's one of the top theological seminaries in the States. And he said any time a person would call, they say, oh, it's... Dr. So-and-so. They give, come out with this real big aggressive thing. He said, I could always tell it was not an earned doctorate. It was just an honorary doctorate. But when a person was a doctor, they were just like, you know, they, they signed their name and they were a doctor. And they, sometimes he said, anytime it wasn't an earned doctor, they, they would say, it's Dr. So-and-so. And they constantly refer to themselves as a doctor, doctor, doctor. Like it was like over and above. Constantly trying to get that from it. It's, it's amazing. This morning we worship God. Can we stand together? We have to take the truth of God's scripture this morning and let it apply to our hearts. Not because we deserve it, not because we earn it. And maybe today I didn't preach grace extreme enough and I apologize. Maybe I preached it weak and deluded somehow. If I did, I pray that God shows you that his grace is bigger than I can ever describe. My prayer is that we would preach such a radical grace that we have to pastor problems. If you look at the New Testament, Paul preaches grace and pastors problems over and over and over. We flip that thing around. On the street, when we talk to people, it's like, Jesus loves you and has an awesome plan for your life. The moment they come into church, we go, all right, now that you're in church, we're going to need you to get this in line pretty quick. I love, I can't tell you because, see, I'm watching this bear fruit when people understand the gospel's free. People come to me and Erin, wherever she is, Jared, I got to confess this to you. This is going on in my life. Because they know that there's no condemnation, there's no judgment. We're simply going to let them say, okay, where's the disconnect between the gospel? Where's the disconnect between God's grace and what you're doing right now? You will never be able to hide that thing in you that wants something more. Christ came. He's perfect. He's the Messiah. Perfection in a person. It's unbelievable. Every desire that you have, every ache that you experience, none of us are immune to them. We're just better at hiding them. Every ache you have, the perfect son of God descended in a human body and became our perfection. I just, I really not, I I sense the presence of the Lord so strong on that. Let's let's worship, let's pray. Father, this morning, where we take a text, where we see Paul says to Timothy, preach the word of God. Lord, we, we want to preach the word of God. We want to rebuke and reprove and exhort. Lord, I pray that this morning this grace message would be so radical that it causes us to go to the Scripture to seek it out for ourselves. We've been forgiven, we've been set free. Jeremiah 29, 11, the scripture says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans, for future, and a hope. It's amazing in that text. It's like God's letting you listen to a conversation he's having with himself. Why on earth would he say, I know the plans I have for you? He's letting you hear the message. That he's having with himself. He's having a conversation with himself. He's saying, I know the plans I have for you, and I want you to overhear me. This morning, God is letting us overhear him. I know the plans I have for you, plans for a future and a hope to prosper you and to bless you. God's letting you overhear through the scripture. Just let that speak over your life this morning. That this the scripture is a declaration that he's letting you overhear. Lord, we love you. We worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. Christ's name we pray.